Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm sitting down with Christine Egan. Christine is a healthy living advocate and author of The Healthy Girl's Guide to Breast Cancer. She ran a half marathon after ending 33 radiation treatments and a full marathon to celebrate her remission. Today, she leads the Redefining Healthy movement, teaching women around the world how to feel healthy in their bodies now, not after losing 15 pounds, finishing cancer treatments, or quitting their dead-end job. Christine is a regular on News 12, has appeared on Fox News, as well as in Yoga Journal, Better Homes and Garden, and Live Happy Magazine. She has also given talks for major running brands, Saucony and New Balance. Christine lives on Long Island, New York, with her husband and three children. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Christine. But before I do, just a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this interview. Like, yeah, I'm excited to share my story with your people. I know. I'm so excited too. And uh, we found out that we're both Institute for Integrative Nutrition graduates and health coaches. So it's always fun to, to talk to a fellow graduate. A fellow someone who drank the Kool-Aid is what I like to say. Yes, good Kool-Aid. <laughs> That's right. The Kool-Aid of health and wellness and... Um, Prevention. Yeah. And that food is just one portion of wellness. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. I'd love you to to touch on that. Um, But first, I would just love you to share your story. Oh, gosh. Where to begin? Um, So I've been in health and wellness for over 25 years. After college, I this is really funny. I used to work for McDonald's Corporation, like fast food. And like part of my job was to actually taste McDonald's foods, like drive into the drive-thru and check out the fried temperature, check out the drinks, always like testing the actual product to see if it was up to snuff. And I never thought twice about eating or drinking any of that. Not that that's how I was raised, but I just like, that's my job. Like, of course I'm going to do this. And I never really thought twice about it until maybe like five years into the job. And it wasn't like I was gaining weight or anything or, you know, automatically feeling bad. I just didn't know that there was another way to live, like not eating fast food, even though it was part of your jobs. And I I wound up leaving that job and went to massage therapy school, like quit my whole life and like changed up everything. Went to massage therapy school, graduated, worked in the spa for a while. And then after that, 
I heard of the Institute for Integrated Nutrition and went to school for that. I just have a quick question for you. So what made you decide to, to quit the, the advertising job? Yeah, I, you know, I wish it could be so black and white, like that something happened. I think I was ready to leave. I was working in Michigan at the time. And then I had moved jobs to a, a job in Columbus, Ohio. And I, it, I was 25, 26. And it was like, if I'm going to continue living here, I don't think that this is the route I want to go. You know, you went to a totally different direction, right? I think I just started opening my eyes to other ways that people were living. So like the, um, I didn't, I, I talk about this in my book, like just silly things. I never knew that cakes were made from scratch. I always thought like a scratch cake meant like a Duncan Hines box, <laughs> like made from home. I didn't know that cake from scratch meant eggs and flour and baking soda. Like I didn't, that's not the kind of house I grew up in. Um, so when I started, I started living, um, with different people from around the world when I was living in Michigan and one of my roommates was from Italy. And I think like we grew tomatoes, we grew basil, like she was making tomato sauce. And like, I think it just kind of opened my eyes to just another way that people lived. And I, like I said, I think I just got to a point in my life is like, this isn't what I want to be doing. I always loved massage therapy, like always like loved getting massages. I loved the idea behind it of like health and wellness around it. Um, and then just went for it, like just kind of changed my whole direction of my life. And then, um, yeah, it, it, I feel like each one was a domino, right? So like the McDonald's was a domino to, opening my eyes to how other people could live. And like, it doesn't have to include fast food and then massage therapy. And then my husband and I were, um, uh, birthing instructors. And then that kind of led to like integrated nutrition. And then that led to, um, like all other different kinds of healing modalities that I just, my eyes got opened and then kind of just found my groove. I think that's what it takes. You're right. I mean, I didn't grow up in a household that, you know, my mom cooked a lot. She cooked a little bit, but we ate a lot of processed foods. No one knew anything back then. Yeah. You know, when you change, when you find things out and you're open to it, that's what's so great because not everyone is, you know, you kind of, I could see that in reading your book that you took the direction you were led to, you know, and learned from that. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was wondering, so how you were diagnosed with breast cancer. It was an interesting story when I I read it in the book. So I'd love you to share. Sure. So I went, okay. I kind of think how old I was. I was like either, I think I was 42 at the time and I had gotten my baseline mammography at the age of 40. So I had that baseline And I remember like not even giving a second thought when I went in for the mammography. And when I was there, I had, they called the doctor. I had to go back because I had dense breasts and they needed to do an ultrasound because I had the dense breasts, like the mammography wasn't enough. And I, again, didn't give it a second thought, went back, did that ultrasound. And then that was it. 
And then like two years later, or it was around two years later, I was just at the OBGYN doing my regular like checkup. And um, he handed me the prescription for the mammogram. And he said, um, you know, here you go. And I said, can you give me a prescription for the ultrasound as well? Because I had to go back last time. And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. So he handed me that second prescription. And that was in November. And then the end of December, January, I wound up going in, had the mammography. Everything was clear. Nothing came up. But I had that forethought about pushing for that ultrasound. And that's what wound up. That's where they found the lump. But before that, uh, before I made the actual appointment to go in to get the mammography, um, I was laying on my couch, which is so strange because I never lay long ways on my couch. Like if I'm ever laying on it, especially then, like my kids were young, like my feet would be on like a hassock. My feet would be on like the ottoman. I never would lay back. Like that was just something I never did. But I was laying back um, and my dog, my little 12-pound uh, dog came crawling up on me and just started pawing like as as she would like paw at something outside like to dig and just started pawing at something on my breast and I described that moment it was like one of those if you were watching a movie it was like a slow motion like it was almost like like what is she doing and then like an alarm was going off and like pay attention like tune in and when I pushed her off, I just kind of started palpating where she was. And I could feel like a little lump. It was like the size of a BB. Like it wasn't anything big. And I didn't think much of it because I had breastfed all three kids. And to me, it felt like a clogged milk duct. But obviously, I mean, I wasn't breastfeeding any children at that time. Like it had been a good long while. But like alarms didn't go off is what I'm trying to say. Like, I knew what, like I had felt something like that before and it was a clogged milk duct and I'm a healthy person. And like, I knew, I knew enough to tune in, but I wasn't creating a story around what had just happened. And then I was going through the motions and I did the mammogram and they're like, yeah, all good. And I was like, okay, yeah, see, it was nothing. And then when I got in and they started doing the ultrasound, like things drastically changed from there. It's so amazing that dogs can do that. I don't know if they are just intuitive or they have, they smell something or what it is, but I've heard that other times and it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, we, um, we credit Zoe, the dog for saving my life. And also, you know, thinking back on it, like I never really gave that second thought about like demanding that ultrasound. Had I not asked for it and we just went through the motions of the mammogram, nothing would have been picked up. So really it's a lesson one to listen to your gut. And two, if you have done stress to ask for an ultrasound, I don't know if they automatically do that always. I don't know if that's even done anymore. I don't even know what that, I mean, like, obviously, number one, it's never easy. Even years later, it's never easy dealing with the doctor to begin with. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> right. And then you got to add the second layer of asking for something that is out of the normal protocol, right? Like asking for a prescription that's 
not usually handled. And then three, God forbid, after all that, the insurance says, oh, no, you can't get that. You, you know, you have to go through these steps in order to get that. Like none of that happened in that one instance. But if it did, you know, was I ready to argue with the doctor at that point? Probably not. I probably just would have said, oh, okay, like we'll just wait it out and see what happens. Right. Mammogram came out fine and you're like, great, everything's good. Exactly. So why did you decide to write the Healthy Girls Guide to Breast Cancer? It was really just a healing tool for me. It started out as a blog because I have to like date myself here. This is like before Facebook was like a big thing. So, you know, now we could update family and friends on details, you know, especially something like as big as cancer. Like you could announce on Facebook what was going on. Back then, which was now 11 years ago, Facebook wasn't nearly as big as it, you know, is today. So I had a blog that was on like a WordPress page and it was called the healthiest girl in the room. And like once a week, I would write that and then send it out to family and friends. And it was just a way of updating people so that everyone knew what was going on. And second, like it was really for my husband, like as well, so that he wasn't blindsided when people got him and said, what's going on with Christine? Because he would have just like, that was too way too overwhelming for him to be able to handle on so many levels. So it was just easier for me to share what was going on in this really simple blog. And then the blog is what became of the book. Got it. And, you know, that leads me to the question, you were so healthy, right? You ate organic and, and, you know, were mindful and all that. So what were you thinking when you got this diagnosis? It was shocking because, you know, out of my friend group, I was the one that was not supposed to get this. Um, I was supposed to be there to be able to help anybody else, not me. Um, But, you know, like, I have to think back. Like, I remember my husband kept saying, like, they misdiagnosed you like this is this can't be right but it was kind of I never really went down that route at that time like there was too much work to be done to get me healthy to really start thinking about either the why or the why me like all those things had to be tabled And 100% of the focus had to be on doing what I needed to do in order to get well. I mean, one of the big takeaways, and I still to this day say this, and I, I really hope this resonates with a lot of people, that not just one thing gave me cancer and not just one thing cured me of cancer. And, you know, I could say that as it relates to so many things, even today, like 11 years later, like... Will we ever know the one specific thing that happened? No. Do I live in a in a cancer cluster? I do. Where I grew up is a cancer cluster. 
you know, we could go down that route and we could start looking at the water. We could start looking at the um, other things that are, I grew up on farmland out here on Long Island. Were there pesticides? Were there, I live near an airport. The fire extinguisher, like the, the, the foam that's used at the airports, like all of this stuff, right? It's all the things, <laughs> you know, I was a really stressed mother with three young kids. There were a lot of things at play. Yes, I feel the exact same way when I think about my cancer because it was so similar. And I wasn't doing health coaching school yet, but my friends would always say, oh my gosh, you're so healthy. How could you have gotten cancer and all that? And the longer I study this and have been around people, it's so true that there's not one thing it, you have to look at the holistic approach, which we did learn in our, in our coaching school. So I'm sure, you know, just having that training probably helped you a lot going through this. I think. And the other thing is, and I had, you know, doctors and nurses say this as I was going through treatment, like, yeah, you've come to this as a healthy person. Like, yeah, that's going to give you a leg up. Like, we're not dealing with um, diabetes. We're not dealing with, you know, lymph issues. Like all of those things could have made going through cancer so much worse. So yeah, coming to it as a healthy person made my treatments, uh, I'm going to say easier, like made them tolerable, made my, like knowing how to listen to your body um, was something that was really important to how I handled treatments, how I handled deciding what treatments to do. You know, I, I see people still to this day that it hurts me so much when I see people who are going through treatment and don't give their bodies an opportunity to rest and let the medication do what it needs to do. So when, when we, it's easy to think about it and I, to people in terms of like charging a cell phone, right? So if that cell phone, uh, you know, got a, um, a chemotherapy treatment or radiation or had surgery that day, it is not at a hundred percent. We're starting at a much lower, right? Like something huge like that. We're taking it down to like 10%, right? All right. 10 to 5%. If we're not going to stop what we're doing and charge that phone for several days, to help our immunity, help our body um, recover from the medication, let the medication do its work, and then start putting good, healthy things back in our body and, you know, doing all the things. There's a, a lot of people that don't give themselves that opportunity and um, listen to what their bodies are telling them to do, which is rest and recover. Yes, it's so true because I think women have a hard time with that. A lot of women, right? Because yeah. they want, they have to take care of the kids and they might have work and all that. And they feel like, oh, I got to do all this. Like, yeah, I can't let anything go. And you're right. It, it's, it's so important to, to, you know, it's such a time to really take care of yourself and, and not that you don't want to take care of others, but you've got to concentrate on yourself. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about in the book about your attitude of being, you know, CEO and 
I love that because I think so many people, you know, they go to their doctor and it's like, okay, their doctor says this and you're just going to do it without questioning anything. So I'd love you to talk about that a little bit. Well, um, the idea was that although I was going to go through all the treatments and do all the things, right. Cause we can't delegate that, which <laughs> we all know is, is difficult, but I was going to assemble a team of people that would help me make decisions. Um, almost like, like having a designated driver, <laughs> like no one's saying that you're going to be drunk, too drunk to drive, but I'm going to, we're going to design, we're going to pick one person who's not going to drink and who is going to bring us home to safety, regardless of what happens, what I wind up doing that night. And that's what that whole putting together a team, I was the CEO of the team. And then I had a board of directors. So my husband, the kids, my sister-in-law, some friends who were in the medical field, all became part of my board of directors and helped me do research help me make decisions as to when I was going to start treatment, when I wasn't going to start treatment. Did I need to skip today? Um, they just helped take all those things that were getting cluttered in my brain that just helped me make clear decisions that were coming from a good place and not necessarily a place of fear. Yes, that's so important. And, you know, you also wanted to choose the correct doctors for you, the correct oncologist, the correct surgeon. So you weren't just going to, okay, the first one I meet, I'm going to use, right? Yeah. I interviewed eight doctors, um, eight surgeons before deciding on the one that I picked. And I had, uh, I, I go in with a loose leaf binder and all my testing information, all my data in this notebook. And we'd have a series of questions. And I say we, because I went in with my best friend who is a nurse practitioner and we together went to all these doctors. And then Mary would ask the questions when we got inside, because I was way too nervous. I was way too nervous. I was trying to get my breathing down. I was trying to get my heart rate down. I was trying to get my blood pressure down because I was a wreck. And we kind of like tag teamed it. We'd go back into the car after that appointment and then like answer a series of questions that we had come up with of, um, did we like the office? How were they treating us? What did we think of the doctor? Um, what was their protocol for surgery? Where did they practice out of? You know, they, it, was, it was basic stuff, but it was also intuition thrown in. Yeah. And then you decided to do IPT, right? Which is insulin potentiated therapy. Yes. And so my understanding of it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that the doctor puts insulin in with the chemotherapy so that it makes the chemotherapy work faster. And then you don't need as much chemotherapy. Is that? And you're close. Okay. So you go to the appointment fasting. And they take your blood sugar levels at that point. And they start with, you know, the regular protocols of the same like medications that they would give for cancer treatments, you know, like any um, antihistamines, any of the, any of those 
protocols that are put in to help fight any of the negative side effects from chemotherapy. So they'd start with giving you those, and then they would give you a shot of insulin. And they would watch your your, um, blood sugar levels plummet. And each patient had their own low level of um, sugar in their, like the, the blood sugar levels. And when you got to your own therapeutic level is when they started pushing the, um, the chemotherapy drugs through the, I had a port. So like they'd start giving the same chemotherapy drugs that I, you know, I would get at the regular hospital just at a different dosage because my body the, you know, there's all research behind that about like dropping your blood sugar levels so that the medication can do its job just at a smaller dose. Your original oncologist, how did he feel about you doing this? Oh yeah. They thought I was crazy and it was quackery and blah, blah, blah. But you know, at the time, and maybe I'd feel like that today. I don't know. I don't want to have to think about it ever again, but at the time, you could have told me that if you take this chemotherapy, you're going to have a 99% success rate. And obviously, they couldn't even give me those high numbers. But let's just pretend that it was. I had in my head such a negative feeling about doing chemotherapy that it would have never worked. Because I was coming at it from such a negative, horrible place that there was no way that I would have ever been able to reach that percentage because I was coming at it from a mindset that this was so wrong for me. So I had to find something that resonated with me so that I could go all in. And that's what wound up. That's what I wound up doing the, the IPT. And I I did 14 rounds of it. Like it wasn't something, you know, that was easy, you know, it was the same as chemo. You're there for six hours. Like it's a big deal. Um, and I, I did 14 sessions of them. I know I read too, that you took an Oncotype DX test. Yes. So that determines the probability of the cancer coming back. Yeah. And, you know, back then that was not, I believe they do that now. Like that's your regular oncologist can do that nowadays. Back then, nobody was doing that. So we had my, the actual tissue. So I I wound up with the lumpectomy. They take the actual tissue and they, what was sent to a lab in Germany. And that lab does testing on that specific tissue of which chemotherapy drugs are the best for your cancer type. And also the probability of the cancer coming back based on using these specific medications. Now, back then that was not commonly done. And I'm pretty sure nowadays the oncotype testing is like a normal thing from your normal oncologist. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I know some do it, but not all. Well, I, I'm, let me rephrase that. I don't think it's as fringe as it was. You know, I think back then it was only in the alternative world. And now mainstream oncologists have the ability to do it. Whereas, I, you know, 11 years ago, no one was doing that. 
Yeah. And then I remember you saying um, before you did radiation, because you needed like, was it 33 rounds? Yeah. 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 That, that your doctor gave you herbs and all kinds of things to take to build your immune system up before radiation. Yeah. So when I was with the, um, the doctor who was an oncologist who was doing the IPT, so not in your, it was a clinic and, you know, it, it was the real deal. What I'm trying to say was I thought he was going to give me a, well, first of all, I thought he was going to give me a pass from doing the IPT when, when my husband and I went to meet him for the first time, that was the first time I really broke down and realized the enormity of what was happening. I mean, you, you asked me that before, um, but the enormity of what I was, what was going to happen didn't hit me until we were at that. I'm going to say alternative. And I say it with air quotes, um, someone who believes in health and wellness, I really thought he was going to give me a pass. And when he said, oh no, you have to do treatment. That's when it all like came crashing down on me. But I, when I was finished with that treatment, I thought he was also going to say, no, you don't have to do the radiation. Like you're good. And he's like, oh no, you have to do the radiation. And I was like, all of them. And he's like, yeah, all of them. Um, and I was like, okay. But you know, I really, really hated the radiation. And I say that because it's, it's the chemotherapy, you know, is horrible enough, but there's people like there's interactions that, that radiation is just horrific in that you're alone in a room that says, do not enter. And you're laying there on the table by yourself. Like it doesn't get any worse than something like that. Like it's just absolutely horrible. Yeah, that has to be hard. Now, I just want to go back to the herbs and stuff because, you know, people are always asking about that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of doctors say, don't take anything because you're having radiation, but your doctor did it before, but not during, correct? You didn't do it during radiation. I mean, the radiation was a blur because I hated my, I hated the radiologist. I really did because I mean, I had been doing so much research. I mean, one of the things that I could talk about that I did that was not talked about was making sure I was walking outside and getting exercise. There was so much research. I'm just talking like basic things. I'm even talking about like which herbs to take, what, how many teas to drink. I'm not even talking about anything as controversial as that. I'm talking about what outside in nature breathing fresh air and moving your body for 30 minutes every day does for your immune system, but not only your immune system, but like your, your, your brain connection to your body and, and helping you stay in that positive outlook while undergoing something so horrific. You know, there's so many studies that talk about exercise and exercise. Number one, and being in nature, number two, like those are two really simple things to help boost your immune system. And there are countless studies with patient, cancer patients specifically and exercise and how that helps them with cancer treatments and boosting their immune system so that they don't have to miss cancer treatments, right? So that, that's a whole other 
part of a conversation that's never really talked about with cancer patients until it happens. So when you're going through treatment, they're monitoring your blood levels, your your, um, white blood cells, your red blood cells. They're monitoring so many things because these medications have a horrific effect on your body. And that's what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to kill cancer cells. But in the meantime, they're, they're hurting so many other things that are in your body. So you're constantly getting your blood tested. And if your blood is not within ranges where it needs to be, they will cancel treatment. And whether it's for that day or for that week, I I just felt like that there was so much, so many other things I could have been doing. um, And I I wound up doing that, you know, no thanks to the doctor that I had. Um, Right. They often don't tell you about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, those are, are very simple you know, daily things that I did that really helped. Um, I truly believed helped me be able to go through treatment without any side effects. That's great. And then I know one, there's studies that say exercise helps you avoid recurrence. Yes. So, you know, I'm constantly telling people exercise, 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 but they feel so tired that they don't want to. And yeah, it's almost like you have to push yourself, right? Well, that's why I, I, I really like talking about the 30-minute the walk in nature because there's just countless studies. It, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be a run. It doesn't have to be a weightlifting. It doesn't have to be a bike ride. It doesn't have to be a Peloton. Like It doesn't have to be something that's difficult. It could be a walk around the block. It could be a walk at a park. Now, one thing I love that you said, because radiation, you said, was such a difficult thing for you. You left notes, inspirational notes in the changing room for people. Yeah. So that started with my kids because I was having a really hard time. Um, The anxiety before going to each cancer treatment was a lot. Um, I wasn't taking any anti-anxiety meds. And in retrospect, maybe I should have been, but it was heavy. Like it was a big, heavy thing that was happening to all of us. And my kids would give me pep talks before my chemotherapy um, treatments. And the, the little messages that my kids kept giving me, I wound up using, we came together like every day for me to write a little note on a, on a post-it note, a sticky note and um, leave it in the dressing room for um, radiation. So I, that radiation, I I was just saying is so lonely. Basically you, you go into the regular, like a waiting room and they call your name and you walk into a, a dressing room Well, mine were, they were two side by side. So the person who was getting radiation was one dressing room, their clothes were in there. And then you get changed in the dressing room next door. You take off your clothes and I was putting on a gown and it's almost, it's almost like a magician's trick, right? Like one person goes in, you don't see that person. And then one person comes out and then the other person comes out from the dressing room and I'm already in the radiation room. So it was like, you never saw another soul. So I don't know who came after me, but for those 33 treatments, 
I would leave up a little post-it note, take it down and replace it with another one the next day. And they were simple phrases, like, um, like things that my kids, we would just say all the time, like, uh, don't tell me the sky's the limit when there's footprints on the moon or, um, do your best and forget the rest. Like, don't look back. You're not going that way. They were just like simple inspirational messages that just almost reset your head before you were to walk into that lonely, cold room. Oh, I love that. I mean, it must have helped people so much and you have no idea. I had no idea. That's so great. So I wanted to just touch on how you felt after treatment was over. Cause I know that is, and I know for me, it was a very unsettling, scary time because all of a sudden you're not doing anything proactively to so-called kill the cancer cells and you're not having the support from your doctor. So tell me how you felt after. Well, I, 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 I'm going to interject and just say that there are so many people who feel like that, that for one full year, you knew where you were going and what you were doing. And then like when that is over, it's like, okay, well now what, like, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, and then again, that's where I just kind of took it upon myself to really figure out what are the things that I need to do in order to keep myself healthy and for me, one of the biggest things was really reevaluating stress and stress levels and almost like renegotiating a whole new me on how I wanted to my life to look going forward. And yeah, I mean, the food is a huge piece of it, right? Like, but if we're living in a stressful world and I'm just shoving broccoli down my throat just to shove broccoli down my throat and then leaving to go to a job that I hate and yelling at my kids, you know, the broccoli has done no good. So it was really reevaluating how I wanted to live my life and, and what that could look like. And, and one of the biggest pieces of that was how to reevaluate the daily stresses in my life. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things I did was I got into therapy. Um, and that really helped a lot. Meditation, like all things that you're going to say not directly fighting cancer, but have play a huge role in the mind body connection of keeping a person well. Yes. I think that is such a great point. And, you know, the mind-body connection is just so strong. I mean, what you think about grows, right? If you're always thinking, oh, no, I'm scared or this, that, the other, then you're going to constantly have those feelings. So uh, I just wanted to end this segment just by asking you, is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with? You know, what do you, what do you want them to get out of your message? I think... <sighs> You know, it was, it was making me sad, you asking that question, meaning like, I wish that you and I could tell thousands of people, oh, yeah, if you just did this, this, and this, you will remain cancer-free, right? Like, we would love to be able to say that. But we know that we can't. And we know that there is no magic bullet. 
There's no magic bullet for any of it. There's not one thing that gave you or me cancer. There's not one thing that cured us of cancer. And there's not one thing that's keeping us healthy. It's, it's all the things. It's all the things. Yes. So now are you ready for random round? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Great. Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is? Oh, happiness. Like just being happy for the day. That to me is freedom. The last show you binged and loved? Oh, gosh. Uh, You're going to totally laugh at this, but I don't care. Well, we're just coming off the Halloween season, so I'm not sure when this is going to air. But my husband and I just finished The Haunting of Hill House, which is on Netflix. It was a total, like, totally fun. I couldn't watch it at nighttime. I had to watch it while it was still light outside. But it was so much fun to be scared. (laughs) When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Go outside. (laughs) Like I have a toolbox of things that help me stay grounded, stay. um, It's almost like recalibrating, right? Like, of course, things are going to be fearful and fears in your life. But if you could come at it from a different angle and and being grounded and being able to answer questions, if it's real or if it's not real, or I like to the other part around fear is I like to tell people like, yeah, it is fearful, but we're not making a decision right now. We're just fact gathering. So if we could fact gather and then make a decision that kind of helps with that whole fear piece. If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Wow. Um, okay. I would, First of all, I've met a lot of famous, I'm going to interject and get, and I have to say this. I've met a lot of famous people over the last few years. And I will, you know, when you always think, oh, I really want to know them. And then when you get to know them, they're like, eh. So I'm going to have to say, if I had access to everybody and anybody I wanted, I want my family of five to come together for a dinner. Like that is the God honest truth. There's nothing that anybody out there has for you that you don't already have. So if like, like there's a guru, like, yes, by all means, like learn, but, but also be able to find exactly what you need with the people that you surround yourself with, because that also will help your immunity, your happiness level, your stress level. If you could surround yourself with more of those people that you look up to on a daily basis within your own life. I'm so glad I asked you that question. That was a great answer. What is your favorite go-to snack? Popcorn out of the air. I have the air, like the, it's like the original one I've had from college. So it is quite old. It's the original air pop popcorn. And then I put coconut oil in the little reservoir at the top and then kosher salt and pepper. That's a good go-to super simple snack organic on pop popcorn that you buy in the bag for like next to nothing. What's one simple thing that brings you joy? Going outside, being in nature. What's on your nightstand? Um, besides my charger for my phone, it would be 
the uh what's the name of the book the big leap by gay hendrix which is always on my nightstand and every time i pick it up i get something different out of it what's your favorite form of exercise i think you might have told me <laughs> well i'm a runner we do crossfit we do endurance events so i any one of those yeah What's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Well, there's so many. I, you know, I'd have to, I, the first thing that came to my head when you asked that was, um, I'm really grateful that I do things and commit to do things that are so outside my comfort zone. Love. Where can people find out more about you and your work. I'm sure you have a website. I have a website. It's called redefining and then a dash healthy because that's what we were doing while we were undergoing cancer treatments, right? We were redefining the meaning of healthy. Um, so that's how that came about, but I'm on Instagram as Christine Egan. Um, and I usually post stories of whatever it is that we're doing or eating and, um, all things that really bring me joy during a day because that's, that's all we really have. So what I got to make the best with the time that's here and why not fill it with things that light me up? Well, Christine, I just want to thank you so much. It was such a joy to talk to you. And I feel like we have so much in common. So I'm so glad that Suzanne introduced us. Yes. Yes. I, I feel quite honored to share this story and you know, almost like share the inside secrets that nobody really talks about as it relates to cancer care and, you know, treatment secrets or post-life secrets that, you know, fear is a real thing, but it does go away. You know, it happened like it's in your head so much and you can't ever think about it not being there, but I assure you it will go away. It, it won't rear its ugly head every single morning. It will be once a week and then it'll be like once a month and then it'll be once a year. And then it just, I, I would love to tell people that one piece is that wherever you're feeling right now, you won't feel like that forever. Yes. That's such a good way to end it. I, I couldn't agree with that more. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.